0: I'm a ranger in Yosemite National Park. I believe that I've seen what people refer to as a real-life alien spaceship. I even touched it with my bare hands. It was a few years back when I was still quite new to the job, May 7th in 2003 to be exact. I was patrolling an area because a report stating that a strange sound was being heard there every night past midnight. Light shows like a full laser light were in display. Some speculated that teenagers were having a party in the woods past midnight as the reason behind these noises, but come on, none of that even made sense. A couple of rangers were already investigating the case. After not finding much, I was also added to the case. I was only 23 at the time and full of enthusiasm to solve it. I investigated everything from testimonies to the witnesses themselves, surveying the whole area. I tracked possible suspects, and I even began camping on those said sites. There were a couple of places, but initially, it's all in one big area. There were six places on the list, and I camped every night on the spot. I grew more and more aware of what the woods look like at night, especially the creatures that come out when the sun sets. I have witnessed a human disappearance of thin air. I witness glowing insects flickering in different light, things I've documented. It was 2003, so the phone camera was not really viable. Unfortunately, I had no clear evidence of these things. It was the last place on the list. It was around 5, and I was setting up camp when suddenly all my gadgets started producing these strange static noises. I thought of going back since my equipment might be faulty, but it was strange since at that time everything was fine just the day before then every single one would malfunction. After a couple of minutes, it stopped, and everything was back to normal. I did not have high hopes of finding them. The problem at some point is that I realized this might not be what seems after everything I've witnessed so far, but it was definitely not going to be normal. Now I've told all my discoveries to my fellow rangers. Some believed and others laughed. To those who believed, they said they saw the same thing, but when they went back to look for it, it was gone. It was never in the same place. It's like it would only want to show itself in the right time and right place, and then vanish forever. At first, I had some hope, but they were right. I came to the exact same spot. I moved around the area, but nothing. It was really gone. As I was having my dinner that night at the last spot, the moon was full and beautiful. As I was chowing down on my food my eyes caught a flash of light. It was only for a moment, but I saw it, and somewhere had come from like a beacon of light. It showed me the way. I went towards to what I believe was the spot, and then my walkie-talkie began going haywire, producing this strange static noise. I turned it off immediately in fear it would alert whatever this thing was responsible. I searched and searched and searched. Finally, it was around 10 p.m., but nothing. I felt like giving up, and suddenly a strong breeze blew from my left side. I turned, and there I saw it, like a huge egg with rings like Saturn slowly lifting up. It was hovering and producing this weird sound like a deep engine noise. I hid behind a tree, heart pounding like crazy. This was it. At the time, I felt like this was it. This was the unrevealed side of this world, and I'm witnessing it. I crouched down, kept observing it, like an egg surrounded by rotary rings. It was pitch black, and then the metallic glow reflecting light from the moon. I might not have any clues as to what I'm seeing, but I know for certain it was nothing made from Earth. I was captivated, and then suddenly, its outer shell cracked. Even the rings on those cracked were lights, neon blue were close to that color. Out of nowhere... Four metallic pipes extended from this thing. It acted as a stand supporting this large ship. I crouched in that spot, not daring to move for what felt like an hour, and there was nothing else that changed after the stand came out of it. It's like it froze in place still, and I didn't dare to move. I kept looking at it with haggard breath. I felt a couple more hours pass when something happened. The cracks on the surface closed up and it went back to how it used to be. Then nothing more happened for a while. It slowly stood up, and I tried my best to sneak up to it, a turtle's pace. I made sure to avoid making as much noise as possible. Just a couple more meters, and I would be up close and personal to it. I was now on all fours, crawling like a dog just to get close to it. I lifted my hand and managed to touch it. It was like how I imagined it, smooth with a metallic texture. I was about to caress it when a high-pitched noise sounded. It felt like my eardrums would break. I clutched my ears with my hands, and the next thing I know, I wake up in a hospital bed. I was found unconscious by a ranger, taken to the hospital after not being responsive. They walked among us, I know it. I've seen it. I'm still searching for evidence." I believe that the high-pitched sound was a warning that a human had found them. The ship probably left in a hurry. They have become more aware, hopefully a lot less active too. I live in a house up next to the Devil's Backbone near Loveland, Colorado. The area around our house is just urban enough for us to have a house there and about three neighbors but wild enough for a herd of about 40 elk to come marching through our yard during migration. One night in 2002, I was watching TV with my parents. My mom went to take one of our dogs out. They went out and came back a few minutes later. My mom came back and told my dad and me that there was something out there. This is, according to her, what happened. She went out to the dog pen with the dog. Just from experience... I know that the outside lights on that part of the house only illuminate the driveway and half of the dog pen. The dog began sniffing about for a place to do its business and went over to the darker end of the pen. There was just enough light reaching that end to see the dog going up against the fence. I don't remember exactly, but at some point, while she was in the shadows, my mom said she heard a loud, terrifying feline growl come from that end of the pen. The dog, of course, bolted immediately for the light at the opposite end of the pen. It was scared out of her wits. Thus my mom was convinced that the time was right to return to the house. I thought about this for some time. The only non cryptid animals in the area capable of producing anything like this noise were foxes and raccoons. There were no mountain lions in the area at the time, but from my mom's description of the sound. It would have to have been a larger creature." Also, the dog that was involved has a reputation for being able to detect foxes easily, and there hadn't been any raccoon sightings at least in our neighborhood for years. This, however, is about as far as I got before I moved on to other things. I didn't think about the noise again until this summer 2006. Every day I go on a hike up the Devil's Backbone Trail with the same dog from the previous account. I had a lot of time to think during those hikes, and as I said before, the strange noise came to mind. I tried to come up with an animal that would fit the description and ended up with nothing. To my knowledge, there were no cryptids in northeast Colorado. The closest cryptids were the Colorado River Lizards, but they're in southern Colorado. I continued my hike and let my mind wander to other things. Then something in the dirt caught my eye. I stopped and bent down to examine it. It appeared to be a footprint of some kind. Most of the dirt around the print was too hard-packed to make much of a footprint with only a thin layer of loose dust. But occasionally, as was the case, there would be a small patch of dirt loose and thick enough to make a decent print. The print was about three five inches wide and three five inches long with three thick, bird-like toes. From what I've seen of the trail wildlife, There isn't anything big enough to make a decent track, much less one as strange and bizarre as this. Of course, it got me really excited, and I searched for more footprints like it. There was evidence of other footprints leading up to the original, but they were on the pack stuff and therefore were not very legible. As I said, I got really excited and promptly began beating myself up for not having a camera with me. Fortunately, the backbone was shielding most of the wind. The print was off on the side of the trail, and there was enough gravel to keep its shape long enough for me to go back home, we live very close to the trailhead, get a camera and snap a few photos, see picture. On my way back, I also managed to find some other tracks like it in more footprint-friendly soil and snapped some shots of it too. This one actually had some fairly legible prints around it in a running pattern, but they were too far apart for me to snap in one shot. I'm tempted to say that the mysterious footprints are connected somehow to the mysterious animal from the previous account. This occurred on September 3, 2019, between 6-6.30 p.m. I was sitting on a park bench in North Isaqua Highlands in Leed Park. It sits directly on the north side of a Marshall's department store. I'm sitting on one of the two benches facing south. My view is looking dead at the wall of the department store to the front, and there's a small little forest of trees behind me. I'm on the foremost eastern bench because I can see the southern sky above the building. I'm gazing up at the sky, and I barely see way off in the distance a couple of parachutes. From where I was to where they are was about two, three miles away, but still on my sight. In fact, if I were to walk fifty feet to the left, I could see all the parachutes flying from my vantage point. The actual parachutes appeared like little black dots with a colored parachute on top of them from where I stood. As I looked at the parachutes, I noticed above them was a darker and bigger black dot. It was above them a couple thousand feet or so. It had wings. It was flying in a giant circular motion like an eagle, but it was flying upwards. This was no eagle, I thought. It was flying in a vortex going upward. I couldn't believe it. It would flap its wings looking like it was climbing in a struggle, like a giant sloppy bat. This was very scary to see. It was directly over the parachuters. I'm watching it ascend even to greater heights. The wingspan was at least twice as large as that of the parachuters. I couldn't believe my eyes. I watched it disappear into a black flat bottom cloud. I could still see the parachutes, but this creature went into this cloud that was coming approximately in my direction. I followed this cloud for about 30 minutes just trying to see if it would pop out somewhere. It was up there somewhere. This creature was gigantic in size. It literally looked like a dragon. All I could do was call the parachute company the next morning. I told the owner everything I had seen. He was very polite. The location where they parachute is called Poo Poo Point and Tiger Mountain Hang Gliding. My sighting happened directly over the Hotspot Gliding Area, which is full of hang gliders. A Sunday night I was driving back down to my home in California. I had been visiting my hometown of Eugene, Oregon. Dark, rainy night had just passed the town of Rice Hill very few cars on the road. I was driving up a hill with my high beams on, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Someone sitting in the rocks or on the embankment on the side of the freeway in the dark, at night and in the rain. Initially, I thought it was a person. It wasn't. It was sitting facing northward as I drove up the hill, took my foot off the gas, let the car cruise and decelerate as I continued up the hill." The thing looked at me and was seemingly aware that I was looking at it. A very frightening moment. This moment frightens me further when I realize how truly close I was to this thing. Less than twenty yards, we very definitely made eye contact. The thing was sitting in an almost fetal position with its knees up by its chin, and these long arms by its side, and then as I passed it the thing stood up and began to walk away north along I-5. And there was no mistaking, this was not a person stranded along the freeway. The thing was tall, very tall, seven feet more. It was very disturbing, to say the least. I've never told my family for fear of ridicule. A sighting along I-5 would be an invite for scorn. Yet, this truly happened. I don't remember the year this happened, but the guy that was with me remembers this like I do. My brother's a brother-in-law, his friend, and I were out hunting. My brother and brother-in-law shot a deer at the beginning of a clear cut. The next morning, my brother-in-law's friend, and I went back to the clear cut that they got the deer in. We followed the road to just about the end of it, maybe 200-300 yards. He stopped to the truck so we could walk around and look for morning fresh sign. On the right of the road was the clear cut to the left was a stand of timber. Before the timber right next to the road was a muddy area, maybe four or five feet wide that followed the path of the road. He walked over to that area to look for tracks. The tracks he found were not what we were looking for. They were much bigger than man tracks but looked the same. They were not bear, at least no bear I have seen. I know there is bear in the area I have seen them there. The space between the tracks and the size is what struck me. I would have to say six, seven feet from print to print. When we seen the tracks, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and he said he were ready to get out of there. Seeing as we both had guns, I talked him to to staying a little longer to look around. We followed the tracks a short ways, and they just stopped. We couldn't find any more, in truth, be told we didn't look very hard because the hair on our necks didn't lay back down until we were a ways out of that area. We never did go back to that area again. I did not see the guy that was with me for many years, but when I did I asked him if he remembered that morning, and he said he sure did. We both have told a few people about it over the years, and not many people believe we saw what we saw... Before that morning, I never believed that Bigfoot was real. I do now. I never thought I'd see a cougar in my area. I mean, according to official reports, there aren't any cougars around here. But there it was, crouched by the side of the road, its eyes fixed on something in the field. I slowed down my car and pulled over to the side of the road making sure to keep a safe distance from the large cat. It was a beautiful animal, with sleek fur and piercing eyes. I watched in awe as it stalked its prey, completely unaware of my presence. I couldn't believe my luck. I had always been fascinated by big cats, especially cougars. But I never thought I'd get to see one up close like this. I grabbed my phone and started taking pictures, hoping to capture this incredible moment. As I watched the cougar, I couldn't help but wonder why the officials denied their existence in the area. I had heard rumors of sightings before, but they were always dismissed as hoaxes or misidentifications. But here was proof, right in front of me. I sat there for what felt like hours, watching the cougar in awe. It was truly an unforgettable experience. Eventually, the cougar finished stalking its prey and disappeared into the woods. I sat there for a moment longer, still in shock at what I had just witnessed. As I drove home, I couldn't stop thinking about the cougar. I knew that officially there were no cougars in the area, but I had seen one with my own eyes. I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets the wilderness held, waiting to be discovered by those brave enough to venture out into the unknown. Only about a month after moving into my aunt's house in a tiny woods town, I was startled very badly by an explosion, seemingly right outside my window. It was so damn loud. Maybe the loudest thing I've ever heard. I looked outside and nothing. I kept waiting to see a fireball because my young brain legitimately thought a large bomb had gone off. Nobody else heard anything. Then there was the light... I would often find myself looking out over the forest behind the house, because I thought a certain star was moving. Well, one night, I'm watching it, and it absolutely was moving. Maybe about two, three miles out, over pure forest. Nobody living out there. It was moving all over the place. Then it started coming towards me, over the course of like fifteen minutes and slowly made its way towards the house must have only been going five, six miles per hour and a couple hundred feet up. This little orange light ended up passing directly over the house without a sound. The light never once flickered or made any indication that it wasn't a solid artificial light, but just passed over the house completely silently and kept going to the woods on the other side. My only theory would be a Chinese lantern, but its movements seemed so deliberate. My father had just picked up equipment for a job up Dixie Mountain Road past the right fork of where the radio tower is on Upper Rocky Point Road. He was entering a bend in the road that took sharp left with old growth on the right. Second growth and more young deciduous on the left where this power line pole pretty much marked the belly of this turn when heading back down Rocky Point. About ten feet in front of my father's truck. What he only describes as a four-five feet tall creature with an ET-like head with matted down three-four-inch brownish-blonde hair crossed the road at a moderate pace. The creature entered the roadway from the old growth on the right to the area on the left. Before entering the thick brush within ten feet of this pole, the creature paused for roughly twenty seconds looking straight ahead into the brush, avoiding eye contact as my father very slowly made his way around the corner." This sighting was told to me by a man that I have known for over 20 years. We have hunted and fished many times together over the years, and I have never known him to tell tall tales. He is very respected in the community where he lives. He said that he had been cutting a load of firewood and was coming down a dirt road that goes from the bottom of the canyon on the Snake River and goes up into the timber. He said that it was hunting season, and from one place on this road he could look down the mountain and he thought he could see a bear by a salt box. These salt boxes are put out by ranchers to put blocks of salt out for cattle. He said his intention was to shoot this bear, so he hurried down the road in his pickup. There are many switchbacks coming down this road, and so at times he couldn't see this thing. When he finally could see it again, he was about 400 yards from it. He said that it stood up on its hind legs and quickly walked about 40 to 50 yards where it went down into a steep creek bottom. He said that if it was a person that the person would have been dressed in dark brown or black clothing from head to foot all in one color. He said that it was over six foot tall. He also said that there were no other vehicles in this area and no other roads into this area. He said that he didn't stop and go look for footprints and that he just kept on driving past the spot, but with a very funny feeling about what he had just seen. For the Thanksgiving break in 1996, Ori was camped on the Abaqua. Sharon Jones contacted him and said he should come to the Bigfoot camp on the Molala River, which he did. As he pulled into the campground around 8.30 p.m., Two big feet appeared in his headlights about 60 feet away. Both of the 11-foot reddish-brown creatures ran into the woods. Ori set out a rabbit in a cage to attract them back, illuminating them with glow sticks, putting a few on trees also, at the 6-foot level, so they could see if something passed in front of them. He had spotlights mounted around the camp, and his son, Stephen, 18, was running the video camera from inside the camper on the top bunk. All of a sudden, a head walked past under the window, and Stephen came flying away, almost bumping heads with the creature as it passed by. The head was hairy, but he could see the face. He screamed it was right outside, a face the size of a garbage can lid. They could see a hand cover the rabbit cage, and they turned on the lights in the camcorder just as something passed for a brief instant in front of the camera so close that all they recorded was a blur. It was 9 p.m., and the thing appeared 9, 10 feet tall from the upper bunk. There was nothing else that night. Friends Mark and Chance camped nearby, didn't see anything. The next morning was cloudy and drizzly. Mark and Chance left, and Stephen and Ori played cards until Mark returned, but left again at dark. There was a strong smell of something dead, skunk-like and musty in the air. Then they heard a weird sound of something running that was gassy farts, making a blop-blop-blop noise, but they couldn't see anything out the window. It was 8.30 dark, but a little moonlight, plus the glow sticks were hung in the trees again. At 9pm, one glow stick starting going dark, then the first Bigfoot came by, followed by a second one. They were both huge, and we watched them go back and forth, running in a criss-cross pattern like to flush game, and apparently hunting as a group. One would cross from right to left, the other from left to right, the pattern possibly spooking game to run into the Bigfoot approaching from the opposite direction. They hung around camp for twenty minutes, stopping at the rabbit, but turning and going back into the woods rapidly, never staying in one place long enough to switch the lights or camera on. They were incredibly fast. One time me and my friend decided to go to a popular park nearby in Arkansas. We found a path that we had always seen but never heard of anyone going down. We decided to follow it to see where it goes. Mind you, this park used to be a popular dumping site for bodies about ten years ago, but it's one of those things people refuse to talk about. Anyways, we get about ten minutes down the path and off to our right there is a itty-bitty opening where there is no trees growing if I had to guess. It was only about four feet by eight feet. I hear what sounds like a shovel digging, so I tell my friend to be quiet. The only people that should be this far in would be park rangers, but I look over and see a man. No uniform. He has a TV, and there is no way for him to get the ATV through the thick woods to where he was at. The path wasn't even big enough for it. We stop and hide for a moment. We were kids in high school, and I was older, so she waited for me to make a decision. All I'm thinking is I see a man, through thick brush, digging in the middle of an old popular dumping site. I tell her to not say a word and turn around. We leave. We never said anything about it for five years because we didn't know what to do. We never saw a body, but the brush was super thick. She had forgot about it until I mentioned it recently. Finally, a chance for me to tell my story. About ten years ago, my family and I were up in the White Mountains of Arizona to cut down our Christmas tree. My dad was driving our truck with my grandfather in the front seat and my mom and sister in the back seat. I was in the bed of the truck along with our family's German Shorthyret Pointer. We were driving along a forest road, and all of a sudden, my dog starts barking and growling, so I looked to see what it is thinking it is maybe a bear or mountain lion. What I saw was a tall, dark figure walking parallel to the road, just about 60 to 70 yards away. I yelled at my dad to stop the truck when I told him I think I see Bigfoot. He just laughed and continued to drive. When I looked back to get another look at it, the figure had changed directions and was walking away from the road. The last thing I saw was the thing's head disappearing down a hill. To this day, I still do not have an explanation for what I saw, and every time the situation comes up, my dad always makes me tell everyone my story just so he could laugh. I grew up in a pretty boring town that does not have much stuff you can do as a teenager besides skating, drinking, and trying to get laid. So to accomplish the last part I invited my someone and another couple to a place I only know from when I was riding the train. To clarify, it was as a small man made rural forests see about two big swimming pools big with natural water in it. It lies near train tracks, but the train rode only once a day, and there weren't any roads so you can't easily drive up there. So my plan was to create a romantic atmosphere with my significant other, and so I brought wine, a small cassette player, yep, I'm old, some food, and a small tent. The extra couple were friends of us, so I thought that might help. Part 1. As I've never been there before, and like I said, there weren't any roads we had to walk about eight miles along the rail tracks to get there. About halfway we noticed that there was not a single House for mindustry related compound at all, and we did not see cars or other people. That was one thing I've never noticed before when I was riding the train, because why would you? We did not think about any dangers or about cell phone reception, since cell phones were a thing only adults had back then. The sky was clear and bright that night when we arrived, and we already had some wine in us, so we did not bother to set up our tents left all our stuff food drinks tents clothes behind a tree and went right in the water we must have been in there for about an hour before we started getting cold so we all got out simultaneously and went straight for our stuff but it all was gone at first we thought we must have made a mistake and put the stuff elsewhere and started looking around but after half an hour we gave up and were scared as hell I totally sobered up in minutes, and we started getting really cold, because although it was summer, we were wet and summers in my country aren't that hot, especially not at night. I decided that we'd find us a spot where we could overlook all of the area and sit around back-to-back back in a circle and stay there until the sun rises, so we did. It was really cold, we were all half-naked, and it was quiet and windy, and every time something moved like trees from the wind or a noise was made, we all got a huge scare out of it. We did not talk for hours, and when the sun was high enough, so there were no invisible corners or bushes left, we quickly went back. Barefoot, half-naked, dehydrated, tired, and still scared. It took us way longer back than last night because every half-mile we had to stop because of exhaustion or because something felt not right. My house was the closest, so we went straight there, drink, ate, showered, and that was it for a while. Part Ruman 2. Two months later to the day I remember because it was my birthday, I had some friends over for some hanging around and getting drunk. The couple was with us, my significant other not, because she moved away shortly after that. I was fall now, so the days were getting shorter and when it started to become dark, we lit up a small fire in my parents' backyard and just sat there talking and drinking. Suddenly, I hear our dog bark, which was odd, because she was always a very quiet fellow, so I went to check it out and catched a glimpse of a person at our front door running away. It was too dark, and he... She was too quick, so I could not make out a face or gender. I stood there for a few moments and they opened the door, but nobody was there. When I looked down, I saw a really big bag, so my self-concentrated younger me thought. Cool, presents. I open up the bag only to find the clothes and the sleeping bag from our adventure two months ago in there. And a freaking note that said, Happy birthday, my name. I was scared to death and still am very anxious because I cannot be a prank, because we told nobody we were going to do this trip. There is not a house or anything near that place and we did not see a single soul for 24 hours. I've never told the couple or my significant other of this because let's be real here. There is no use in scaring them again after what we went through. Over 20 years have passed since then, and nothing has ever happened there or to me or my friends. When I was 19, a group of friends and I drove to Vancouver Island for a camping trip with one of our friend's family. The campsite that we went to was on a beautiful crystal clear lake and was on the edge of a forest. And about 50 feet away was a nice little sandy cove. My buddies and I set up some logs so we could sit and talk while we blazed a little bit at about 15 feet away from the tree line. It was late one night and my four friends and I were sitting around smoking. Just bullshitting, and we heard a twig snap like in the movies. We all kind of froze, so I grabbed my flashlight from my backpack and shone it on the trees. At first I didn't see anything, but I took two steps to my right, and I saw these two glowing yellow eyes just staring back at me. I told my friends what I was seeing, and we all just kind of froze. I was freaked out, so I bent down and picked up a big rock Just in case, after a couple seconds we got out of there as fast as we could and back to the campsite. That night I slept with my axe real close. The next morning we went out to our spot and saw bear prints in the sand all over where we had been chilling. Seeing those eyes still has to be the creepiest things I've ever seen. My dad used to work at a military fortress... He wasn't serving or anything, but his company such that it was was based there, and as such they had custodial duties to the base. One occasion I remember him going on about was around New Year one year, and he was working quite late, so it was dark when he left to be honest. I think it was only around 7pm, but the sun sets at like 3.30pm in that part of the world in winter. On the drive home he realized he'd forgotten his phone, so he turned around to go and get it, he parked up and walked through the glacis, over the drawbridge and through the arch, which brought him into the main square from where his office was visible on the top floor of the block on the right. He noticed then that the light was still on in one of the end rooms of the office, I recall it was some kind of storeroom. It was odd, he thought, because he'd been the last one out and had locked up so his first thought was that he'd locked someone in. When he got up there, though the lights were all off and nobody was about. He received his phone in quick order and left in a little more than a hurry. There were other happenings too which didn't involve my dad. On one occasion his boss came in one morning to complaints from the night cleaner accusing him of peeking at him from behind doors and hiding, giggling and flicking lights on and off, which was obviously a surprise because he'd been at home all night. The army occupied other floors in the block and other blocks on the camp, and often complained about loud parties from the office, which never happened plus soldiers regularly. I have a backcountry hunting story from the Cascades in Washington a few years back. I was with my brother. We were 12 miles from the nearest road. Six miles of normal trail and six more miles on a trail long abandoned that was near worthless. It was super steep, and we were bushwhacking with every step, blowdown all over it. The only backcountry hunt that I wished I had a machete. Point is we picked this area because no one else should be around. Took most of the day to get to nearly the only flat spot around. We glassed a deer or two before dark, but were hunting bare woke up that night around 1am to the sound of digging. Figured it was a bear rolling over logs and digging up the ground, except it sounded more metallic like a shovel being forced into rocky soil. It was slightly downhill from us, and I poked my head out of the tent, tried to shine my light to at least scare the bear off. Didn't see anything. Must have been further away than I thought. Listened for a while longer, then fell back asleep." Not much longer and my brother wakes me up with eyes as big as dinner plates. There were voices about ten feet from our tent. I roll over and can see a light shining outside our tent. We lay there and listen for a minute and they are speaking some Eastern European language. My brother is freaking out, but I mustered the courage to poke my head out of the tent. There was three guys huddled together with headlamps shining on the ground, looking possibly at a map. They don't see me, so I slide back in the tent and report this to my brother. My brother is still freaking out, but for some reason that I still don't know why, I was super calm. I remember thinking if they were going to harm us, they would have already, and it didn't seem much use to talk to them since they weren't speaking English. They walked away after a few more minutes, and I feel back asleep, but I don't think my brother slept another wink. There is no way they could have made it into that area in the dark unless they knew it well. It was hard to do in broad daylight. Back at home, I recount the story to my wife, who is convinced they buried a body up there, and that was them making the noise, not a bear. I think there would have been 1,000 places along the way to our camp to do something like that, but who knows? Once I was picking up hay from a farm in the middle of nowhere. It was 11 p.m., and I called the day before and asked if I could sleep on their property for my break, and they said yes. At one point I got to dirt roads and no street signs. The GPS seemed like it was a quarter mile off. It showed my vehicle off the road I was on, and I was crossing intersections a minute or two after the GPS said I was there. When it told me to turn there was nowhere to turn so I drove another fifth of a mile and assumed that was where I was supposed to turn. I got a quarter mile down the road and came to a sign that said this was not a BC road and not to continue with directions on how to get there. I didn't want to back out but going forward was a real woodsy area so I walked down the road some to see if I could turn around. I got to a clearing and could see about 500 feet further there were 50 or so people with robes and hoods on and a cross burning. I went straight back to my truck and began to back out. Within a few minutes someone came out in a pickup and asked what's up. I said I was lost because of GPS and I saw the sign and decided to back out. They said they'd park and use their headlights so I could see the road when I was backing up and I never turned back most paranormal. I was driving at 2m, and saw someone in the road and changed lanes, slowed down, pulled over, and got out to see what was going on. I never found anyone, but I did a quick walk around of my truck, and one of my steer tires was close to failing. I was 90k pounds with flammable liquids, and about to go down a curvy mountain, so I probably would have died if it blew at any decent speed. I went down the mountain at 10 miles per hour, and got it repaired at the next truck stop. Just to clarify, there was no sign of a tire problem, and there was definitely someone in the roadway. I was only doing 20 miles per hour up a grade when I saw this person, so having and stopping didn't do any damage. It was a decade ago, but the memory remains vivid in my mind. I was driving alone late at night, around 2 a.m. on a desolate two-lane highway in way upstate New York. The moonlight cast eerie shadows on the road as I cruised along, enjoying the solitude and silence that enveloped me. As I approached a long, flat, left-hand bend in the road, there was a sudden bright flash, like a camera flash, in my driver's side window. Startled, I instinctively slowed down, my heart pounding in my chest. I scanned my surroundings, searching for the source of the light, but I was utterly alone on the road. No cars in front of me, none behind me, and none on the other side of the highway. The area was wide open, devoid of any trees or bushes that could have obscured my sightlines. I should have been able to spot headlights or taillights from any nearby vehicles, but there was nothing, just the empty road and the haunting silence of the night. Puzzled and unnerved, I continued driving, my mind racing with questions. What could have caused that flash? Was it a trick of the light? A reflection from some distant source? Or perhaps something more mysterious? As the years passed, I often found myself revisiting that night, trying to make sense of what I had experienced. I consulted friends and even researched possible explanations online, but nothing seemed to fit. Sometimes when I find myself driving alone at night, I can't help but glance nervously at my driver's side window, half expecting to see another flash. The mystery remains unsolved, a lingering reminder that there are still things in this world that defy explanation. That night has stayed with me, a haunting memory that never fails to send a chill down my spine. Though I may never uncover the truth behind the mysterious flash... It has left me with a profound sense of awe and wonder, a reminder of the enigmatic mysteries that lie just beyond our understanding. My second close call with a Sasquatch was up in southeast Alaska. I had spent the summer working as a deckhand on a salmon tenderer, earned a full share position for rock crab, but wanted to take a break before the salmon season ended and cod and crab began. The captain told me to stay out of the bars and go camp outside town. The plan was I'd have a couple weeks to do as I please, then meet them dockside on Kodiak. Since I was such a smart guy, I decided to ask the cannery manager if I could crash in his office instead. He said yes, so I quickly stowed my gear and then headed to the bar in town. Ended up getting drunk as hell and into an altercation with some other fishermen. I left to head back to the cannery, and someone hit me in the back of the head with a blunt object beer bottle, maybe. I woke up at dawn, face down in the grass beside the bar, cold and drenched from a rainstorm that had passed while I was unconscious. I stumbled back to the cannery, washed the blood off my head, and checked into a motel. Took me a few days to start feeling better. The chambermaid brought me lots of soup to help with the mild hypothermia I'd gotten. While recovering, I watched a documentary about Sasquatch sightings. For some damn reason, that movie gave me the itch to go see one up close. I ended up paying the chambermaid to drive me to a gravel road that led towards a forest where Sasquatch had been spotted that time of the year. She drove me about eight miles outside of town, and I walked another seven before I bumped into a Sasquatch foraging for food next to the trail. I whipped out my digital camera and began filming it, but most of its body was obscured by ferns. The creature was about eighty yards away and I wanted close-up footage, so I kept inching forward until it finally spotted me. It stood up on its hind legs and cocked its head. I chuckled a little at that. Then it dropped down to all fours and took a couple of steps towards me. That's when I thought, oh crap. I started backing up, and after a few steps, the Sasquatch ran uphill, presumably away from me. I felt relief wash over me and started talking to the camera about how that was awesome, and I can't wait to see more. I waited five, ten minutes before continuing because I wanted to give it time to clear out. I made it less than 50 feet before the Sasquatch came charging out of the bushes on a small cliff about 15 feet above me and to the left, growling and thrashing the bushes. I was caught totally off guard by it and couldn't even think. My body didn't wait for a decision, though. With no thinking whatsoever, I ran as fast as I could for as long as I could. I nearly puked when I finally got myself stopped. My throat felt a little sore later that day so I might have even been screaming while I sprinted away. And that was the end of my little excursion. Once I caught my breath and thought it over, I realized I was a total idiot for being 15 miles outside of town with no gun or bear spray. Can't believe I watched a documentary about Sasquatch sightings and felt inspired by it. I hiked about four miles back towards town when a middle-aged woman drove by and offered me a ride. This is no bullshit she made me get into a dog cage in the back of her SUV. I didn't complain, though, because she was saving me from having to hike another 12 miles to town. Plus, I understood that I was a stranger in a remote area, and she just wanted to feel safe. Along the way, she asked what I was doing out there unarmed and told me I was a dumbass after I told her the truth. Welp, that's it for my scary Sasquatch encounters. Luckily, I lived long enough to mature out of youthful recklessness. I hate to think what mess I would have gotten into if that sasquatch hadn't bluff charged me and spooked me back to town. If I'd made it deeper into the forest and freaked out like that, I probably would have been in real danger. Nowadays, whenever I recount this story, I am reminded of the sheer stupidity of my younger self. But at the same time, I can't help but feel grateful for that close encounter. It served as a wake-up call that made me reassess my actions and taught me the importance of being prepared and respecting the wild. These days, whenever I venture out into the wilderness, I make sure to be fully equipped and to educate myself about the area and its inhabitants. And although I still have a sense of adventure, I now take a more cautious and respectful approach when exploring unknown territories. I've always been intrigued by the unexplained, so when I heard about a series of strange sightings on a property just outside Estacada, Oregon, I knew I had to investigate. My name is Rip Little, and I'm a journalist specializing in stories about the unknown and the mysterious. I got in touch with Stuart, a professional fish and game guide who was familiar with the area, to see if he could help me uncover the truth behind these strange occurrences. Stewart agreed to meet with me and share his story. He had been looking for a house to buy about five, six miles out of Estacada on Porter Road. While visiting a potential property, the owners had casually mentioned that an unknown creature had been seen around the area about five times. Naturally, my curiosity was piqued. As we sat down over coffee, Stuart recounted the stories he had heard from the property owners they described a tall, bipedal creature with dark fur, walking upright like a human but clearly not one. They said it had a distinctive, pungent odor and emitted unsettling sounds that seemed to reverberate through the forest. Stuart, being an experienced outdoorsman, was initially skeptical of the tales. He had spent countless hours in the wilderness and had never encountered anything remotely like the creature they described. However, he couldn't dismiss the sincerity in their voices, so he decided to look into the matter further. Over the following weeks, Stewart delved into local archives and spoke with long time residents of the area. He discovered that reports of the creature went back decades, and many people in the community had their own stories to share. Some had seen it from afar, while others had experienced frighteningly close encounters. Despite the varying details, One thing remained consistent, the overwhelming sense of fear and unease that accompanied each sighting. As I listened to Stuart's account, I couldn't help but feel a shiver run down my spine. There was something about these stories that struck a chord deep within me, and I knew I had to see the location for myself. Together, Stuart and I ventured out to the property on Porter Road. We explored the surrounding woods, searching for any signs of the elusive creature. Though we didn't catch a glimpse of it that day, the heavy silence and eerie atmosphere of the forest left us both feeling uneasy. The stories of the unknown creature haunted my thoughts, and I couldn't help but wonder if it was truly out there, lurking in the shadows. As I continue to investigate, I can't help but be drawn deeper into the mystery. What could be behind these sightings? Is there a rational explanation, or is there something truly otherworldly at work, I may not have the answers yet, but I'm determined to keep searching until I uncover the truth.